Welcome to another episode of the Whiteness in America podcast. My name is Tom Bell, and this is episode 11. It's been a while since we've been in the studios, and today uh, it's a little different of a day. You'll notice that I'm by myself right now, and uh, what you're going to find out here in a few minutes is that today's episode is uh, Dr. Britt's last episode on the Whiteness in America podcast, at least for now. Uh, she is saying goodbye for now, and, and will no longer be serving as the co-host, so uh, we did an interview together to talk about what her next plans are, what she, where she's going next, and what we can expect from her moving forward in her work um, supporting black positivity and um, challenging anti-blackness um, in a different way. And then I did a, a brief interview with um, the executive director for Words Alive uh, and that great organization and some of the things that they're doing. And then finally, we introduce our new co-host, uh, who was the very first interview I ever did. His name is Joshua Trinidad. Josh was here. He was the first interview on the podcast. He's been on the show uh, another time in a panel and he will be joining me for some conversation and then we will start with our regular um, programming moving forward uh, next week. We have a pretty exciting episode coming from me then. So without further ado, we're going to get to my interview with Dr. Erica Britt. Erica, I'm, I was um, really touched that she wanted to do this podcast a year ago with me. She added a lot to it. I'm forever indebted by her dedication to this work. And she's made me a better human, um, a more critical scholar, a more critical person when it comes to issues of whiteness, white supremacy. Um, and uh, I uh, will miss her a great deal. So here's my interview with Erica. This is your last show for now, right? Um, mm -hmm. So, uh, what have you been up to since I saw you in February? <laughs> Goodness, I feel like all the things, you know, like this last few months have been a good, a good pause, just spiritually and emotionally, because you know I think our workspace was becoming a bit more intense than I expected it to be this past year. So I needed that that pause, um, but that pause was very brief because then all the transition to online and the Zooming, the nonstop Zooming, the nonstop uh, web conferencing, like that's a, an added spiritual drain that I was not expecting. Um, and then of course, as you know, all the world kind of falling apart around us. So these, these past few months have been interesting. I mean, one good bright spot about the last few months is my partner is here with me quarantining together. So that kind of makes life <laughs> that makes life a lot better. And we've been building our own urban farmstead here in Flint. So we've got like the most amazing garden plot with all the veggies, all the I've things. I've seen the pictures. It's amazing. Yeah, it really is. And like I just, I'm just really, really blessed to have someone who has such a green thumb and such a love for that. So it's a good, um, it's a good space to release and just kind of start visioning what the world, what we want the world to look like after all this is done. Um, so yeah, these last few months have been like a roller coaster, really just like good and bad, really intense in both directions, <laughs> you know, um, so yeah, just kind of using this time to chill, recuperate, and vision where I want to be. Um, that's really how, like, and the months have flown by because of that, you know. 
Um, uh, um, well, I really appreciate you coming on to say goodbye uh, mm. for the show. Like, I just wanted to say, you know, to you um, publicly, I said, well, but like, I really appreciate your willingness a year ago. It's been a year, right? So it's been almost, yeah. a, it's been a, exactly almost a year, a little over. Um, you coming on and, and making this a better, a better podcast, more, um, more engaging. You made me think differently and more critically. And, um, I can't explain with words how grateful I am to you Ooh. both for like your partnership in this, but your friendship. And that's something that I'm really hoping, um, continues beyond this, you know, oh, of course. it's just a, um, evolution of that relationship, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. um, do you want to share with folks like what your plans are next? Yeah. I mean, and also I like, kind of echo what you've said. I really do appreciate this opportunity. It's been really good, like stimulating parts of my mind, getting me thinking about how we use our different platforms to talk about important issues. And so this has been transformative for me too. So I thank you for, um, yeah, for letting me partner with you on this and, you know, um, kind of being, yeah, like a, a sounding board for some really awesome, cool ideas. Um, I think that we're in a really powerful racial moment right now where, um, you know, things that we've been saying for centuries, actually, <laughs> unheard and unacknowledged um, in white America. It's like, all of a sudden, we're all home and, and my partner and I were talking about this, like, what's happening to the white folks out there? Why are they suddenly so tuned in? And, and it's, it's, overwhelming in some ways because it's like we're happy that white people are tuning in but also we're kind of skeptical like well what what's the future of this where where is this all headed um and so i think we're in a really interesting moment where there's a lot of possibility um and a lot of potential for um for transformation so we're excited and hopeful about that but we're also recognizing how much of the work we need to see white folks do and I think that's why, you know, as I think about our podcast, you know, it's talking about whiteness in America. And I think given the, um, given the incredible violence I've seen towards black people and given the, you know, like again, centuries long systems of oppression towards black people, I, I'm finding myself kind of fatigued talking about white people, <laughs> you know, and talking about whiteness and white supremacy when it's clear that it's something that white people must own and white people must dismantle. Like white people have to we own built this it. project, we, we built right? It. Or, and if you didn't build it, you benefit from it, right? And so I'm realizing in a more acute way how important it is for white people to own this work and to own it and to live it and to breathe it and to do it. And in the meantime, I think what's also happening, you know, for us as black people is we're recognizing that um, we need to be building our own spaces and we need to be thinking about how do we elevate mm. blackness and how do we celebrate blackness and so i think that's yeah. why there's a little bit of cognitive dissonance for me to continue in the space talking about whiteness when i think i'm ready to talk about black joy black you know black futures black you know black empowerment like that's kind of like where my energy is it's kind of part of why my partner and i are building the garden that we're building because, you know, we're, we're realizing in this moment that there's so much that we don't have control over, so much that we don't know, so much knowledge that's been lost um, and stripped away from us. 
And we're trying to regain all of that stuff um, as part of um, re-envisioning what the future of Black America is. So I think for the next few months or the next few years even, I want to be starting to really be intentional about, you know, where do I spend my time and energy? And, it, and it's going to be in a building space um, and building um, Black resilience and Black joy and Black futures. Um, and I, you know, I don't mind, you know, coming and partnering and talking about whiteness, but I don't know if I want to center whiteness in my day to day or in my intellectual thinking at this point. I mean, it's always present. <laughs> whiteness is always present. And so, so how do we, you know, get a healthy healing space as black people where we're not always um, inundated with the oppressiveness of whiteness. So I think that's that's kind of where I am. And it's, it's you know, kind of a, a pause, I think, and a really important spiritual and emotional pause that I need to take, um, especially given the intensity of this moment. But, you know, also it's a pause that comes with lots of well wishes for the amazing things I know you're gonna do. Like I'm already hearing the great ideas that you have for the next themes, which are themes that I do think must be tackled by um, people who are centered and white experience, right? And being able to talk to other white people about what they've learned and how they've grown. Um, I think that's really, really important and really powerful. So, so that's kind of a broad. <laughs> well, no, and I appreciate you, you sharing that. Thank you. And, and I, um, I, I think it's amazing uh, what you are doing. And your work has always been really super impressive to me and, and the way that you kind of noodle through things and think about things and approach work. One of the, one of the challenges that I'm really struggling with and I have since I began, you know, my journey into this is, and you and I have talked about this a few times because we mm -hmm. bump up against it, both in our presentations, some of the presentations that we've done together. And then in, in the mm -hmm. podcast discussion is how do you dismantle whiteness without centering it? Right. Like, mm -hmm. and it's that really awkward day. I was having an online conversation with someone yesterday and I don't want to quote them because I, I didn't get permission from them, but essentially it's like, they said, you know, I can do these workshops and be the facilitator as a white person and unpack this for people. And it's literally the most fucked up thing I could do. Mm. Right. And it's, and it's just like, it's right. Like it, it is, it is the, it is work of white folks to dismantle the system. We built it, we perpetuate it, we benefit from it. Um, and, but at the same time, it's really messed up. Yeah. The interrogations are centering. Right. Yeah. yeah. But it's a, di it's different from, so yeah, we have to, we have to put the lens on it, shine a light on it and put it like in the spotlight. Right. But I don't know if that necessarily means that we're centering whiteness because the real work is, so the interrogation is the start of it, but the real work is dismantling it. Right. So thinking about all the spaces where whiteness operates and it's taken to be the norm, you know, and, and how we do our, our, our business dealings on a daily in, in our workplace. We have to decenter whiteness in those spaces. So a person coming speaking black language or, you know, uh, you know, ethnic influenced English, for, ex for example, that's not standard middle-class English. Right. Like you can center whiteness by valuing those voices and elevating those voices, or we can just center whiteness by just giving the fucking keys to black and brown people. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know? And we've seen that before. <laughs> well, and I, and I think, you know, to your point, like something is different and you mentioned it right now, like white people, seem to care a little mm. bit more about racial inequity, at least 
on the surface, right? We're seeing it in a, a performative space at the very least. Right. Um, but I think the difference is, and in, in, in I think black and brown folks have always had the keys in the movement, but for, in this particular moment in time, there is driving and there is not that, there's always been interest convergence in this, right? There's always been like that negotiative step of, with white folks of like, okay, you'll give us brown be bored, so we'll mm. do this, right? And in this case, it's like, oh, fuck it, I'm taking down your statues. I'm going to burn mm-hmm. your city down. I, I, you need to hear me. You need to see my experience and understand that this is pain. Mm-hmm. And don't just go to a book club, but like right. do something about it, right? And I think, for, right. I think it's getting to the core of, of shaking that individuality that, that allows whiteness to live and breed and perpetuate. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, I'm, I'm, I'm pessimistic. I guess, as I shared with you in our earlier talk, like, I don't, I don't know how long the attention span of the white mainstream folks is going to stay, but it's there now. And I think, yeah. you know, this is a good time for a lot of shifts. I mean, you saw just in, I mean, it's small, but like the state of California is doing, um, has a referendum and will have a, a vote in November about removing their um, affirmative action ban. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, Michigan, mm-hmm. we have one too, which has in, impacted significantly how we center black and brown voices in our experiences in higher ed and how we support black and indigenous, indigenous people of color in mm-hmm. our spaces directly because of that, that right. constitutional amendment. If we can move those out, that might do something structurally. Possibly. Yeah. I mean, and there's so much more, right? So like there's affirmative action, but I'm also talking reparations. Like I was literally sitting with my partner the other day thinking about yes. like Tanahisi Coates and how he talked about how black America was pillaged. You know, we pay taxes, we contribute financially to the country, we literally built the country and yet there's no acknowledgement of that labor. And that labor continues. We continue to contribute and build and yet our our we don't get the resources that we need. We don't get the, the um, investment in our communities that we need. There's so much um, that needs to shift economically and politically about our country um, to really and truly honor and center black and brown people. Um, that's not happening, you know, thinking about Michigan as well. Um, so there's a lot of work to be done. And, and you're right, like the, there's the awakening that comes from a book club, but then there's also like the actual doing. The shocking thing that's been happening to a lot of us is that we're getting, <laughs> we're getting a lot of messages from our white friends and colleagues. You know, I've gotten, I've had to have gotten about 10 emails or 10 texts um, from, from white people that I know from my past saying, oh, Erica, you know, I've, I've been paying attention to what's going on and like this, this is so devastating what's happening and I'm finally becoming aware of what's going on and, you know, I'm just checking in on you. And one of those people is a person who did incredible professional harm to me. Um, and anyone who was on my dissertation committee uh, and my dissertation defense will know who this person is. Um, but it was probably one of the worst days of my life professionally to have this person attack me the way that they did. And the kinds of attacks that they did were really, well, you can't talk about race because you can't prove it. <laughs> and it's not wow. real because you don't have enough data. You don't have enough stats in your dissertation to prove this thing that you're talking about, which is racial solidarity and identity and all this stuff. So I get this email from this person a few weeks ago saying, hey, I'm checking in with all of my black friends and colleagues just to let you know that I'm thinking of you and I'm becoming more aware, but no acknowledgement of any of that incredibly devastating 
professional violence that they've done to me. And, and again, time and time again, I keep getting these emails from people who have either done some professional harm or are complicit in those systems. And, you know, where is that understanding? Where is that recognition? And I think, you know, we have to center whiteness in the sense of shining a lens on those things. Like what are those things that makes each and every white person complicit on a day-to-day -day basis? Like the fundamentals of how you operate <laughs> and how is that supporting white supremacy? So thinking about how you've treated your black colleagues, thinking about whose voices get elevated in meetings, thinking about um, did you co-sign on that racial justice initiative? Did you, in, did you insist that your institution you know, treat colleagues of color a certain way. Like all of those ways that white people passively allow white supremacy to continue. Um, that has to be part of what we center in this conversation. And, and that will be the first step, I think, towards dismantling white supremacy. Um, but yeah, we're in a moment of awakening, but okay. Now, all right, let's move What's on next? to like, yes. yeah. Yes. <laughs> let's do this work, you know, yeah. let's get it done. Yeah, and Otherwise, we're just going to continue to cause harm. You know, I, like I said, I got that email from this this colleague, and it took me a week and a half to to recover from that email. And I and I shared it with my mom, and she screamed when, when I showed her the name of the person who sent me this email, um, because she she was there to see what violence had happened to me. <laughs> yeah. You know? And so that's what we're dealing with. You know, we're we're always dealing with the residual of the violence of white supremacy. And we need white people to tune into that and also stop doing it. <laughs> stop it. So, just a whole mouthful, but that's it. kind of my vision for the future. Like there's an interesting thing going on, and this was part of the conversation I was having yesterday too, is like as a white person, like in this work, both finding ways to be in in unison and partnering with and walking with and being that co-conspirator, if you will, right? But also not taking up the space when you don't need to, right? So it's this really interesting navigate, like, as you said, just give us the keys, right? Mm -hmm. But there's also work that we can do um, that is either in the background or in, in the forefront, depending on the audience and with whom it is, it is, it is with. Mm -hmm. And yeah. that navigation, I think, is gonna be tricky for white folks because we all get in our feelings. Right, that's where D'Angelo's work talks about like our own fragility, right? So like when we're in space and then someone's like, oh no, you're taking up too much, step back. And so I think, I think, that, will be, I think that will be something that will be interesting for white folks to kind of um, process. How do they navigate that um, element? Because I think you're right. I think, I think we need to do, like, it's not giving the keys, it's like, because that, that's also, I think, paternalistic in a sense. It's like, just get out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. just, just get out of the way. Like, you know, um, help with those resources and then just get out of the way. I don't know. So that's kind of my, I, I think, take on this. Um, yeah, I just, I, you know, um, like I said, I didn't want to keep you too long, but... Um, I'm really excited for seeing what you have planned next and the things that you're doing. And hopefully there's a way that we can continue to collaborate and work together on stuff and other things. Yeah. So. Definitely. That's not going to change. I think that that's always going to be 
um, present. I, I see this as like a, um, not an end, but in the beginning, you know, an evolution to, yeah. to new ways of reaching different people. And yeah, collaboration is always available and thinking about how we can move this work forward. I just think that there's different ways and different domains for us to be operating in that are going to be most effective for the communities that we're trying to reach and also for our own spirits, you know, <laughs> and thinking about, you know, how do we best use our energy in a way that, that for me at least, um, fills me up. Um, yeah. I think this direction that I'm headed will do just that. So. Well, yeah. thanks for giving a year of your time to yeah. doing this work with me and being a part of this journey and um yeah i will would love to have you back anytime that you feel like you have i mean obviously you have lots of things to say and talk about and so um, if the mood strikes or the the um topic is interesting to you let me know and you can you're always welcome in this space dr Britt. yeah always. thank you thank you thank you and if you want i'll just i'll just give you the keys and you can just take it <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> no, I look forward to that. I really appreciate you, Tom. You're a really amazing um, co-conspirator. And so, yeah, onward, onward to better and greater things. I think it's going to be an amazing um, future for the podcast. And I'm looking forward to, to following, following what's going to go on. So Great. And uh, good luck with your garden. Thank you. Um, we are having immense <laughs> issues with rabbits right now in ours. Like chipmunks I was able to get rid of. I found a way to deter them, but the rabbits, I cannot. Yeah, rabbits are jerks. Have you tried um, putting garlic down in your flower bed? No, no, we did the spray, like a, mm -hmm. a, a liquid fence, and that mm. works, but it works for like a day or two, and it's not necessarily <laughs> great for my children to be around, because it's like, it smells horrible. Yeah, well. <laughs> and they walk in and out of the garden all the time, right? So. Ooh, right, yeah. right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, the critters, they always want to share of our garden. That's what we're, that's our biggest challenge right now. Like, come on. <laughs> this is for us. Jerks. So, yeah. <laughs> Good luck with that. So yeah, I um, hope to see you uh, I, I, in the fall. I won't see you probably because I, I don't plan mm. on campus unless I have to be. Yeah. Uh, but I'll hopefully see you in the virtual world. So Yeah, I think so. There's a lot of places for us to connect. So I'm looking forward yeah. to that too. <laughs> All right. Well, take care All of yourself. Right. You too. Take care and we will talk soon. Sounds good. All right. As most of you know, from time to time, we like uh, to take a few minutes in each episode and promote events, organizations, and books that we feel are aligned with our mission. We would love to have sponsors for our podcast too, but we're happy to promote other things as well during this time. Anyway, this week I wanted to take a few minutes to talk about a great nonprofit based out of San Diego, California, Words Alive. I had the honor of talking with this team, uh, the team from Words Alive a few weeks ago and how to continue to evolve their practices with an anti-racist framework, addressing their own and, uh, own and systemic whiteness, and all the great things they are trying to accomplish. What a great organization. And today is a special treat. I've asked my good friend, the executive director, Rachel Rose, to come in and talk a little bit about Words Alive, uh, one of their current projects called Novel Ideas, and how you, our dear listeners, can support their work. Hi, Rachel. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, Tom. Glad to be here. Yeah. What's it like out there in sunny San Diego today? Sunny, warm, and a little, a little rainy. It'll be gone in an hour, though. But it's a, it's a good summer day here. Great. Well, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Uh, tell us a little bit about Words Alive for folks that don't know who you are and what you do. 
Words Alive is a nonprofit organization. It's been around for about 20 years, based in San Diego. Our work connects children, teens, and families to the power of reading. Uh, 20 years ago, we were founded by a woman who realized that many of the teenagers um, here in San Diego were not able to make connections or didn't have opportunities to make connections between their life and words that they were reading. Um, and she started a book club for teenagers at a local school for pregnant and parenting teens. It's a school we still work with. Um, and that has grown into a program where we're able to connect families and teenagers and um, young children as well with the power of reading and all the wonderful things it can do in their lives. That sounds pretty amazing. Now you're pretty new to the organization. I, I, I am. Understand. I joined um, in September. September. What, drew, what brought you there? Uh, the mission of the organization, um, I've worked in the literacy field for a good 20 years and just the great work that Words Alive was doing and the fact that the organization does the hard work of social change. They are really digging into the, the we, we are really digging into the core of the um, social change aspect and helping connect, um, not just connect youth and families with the power of reading, but really changing habits and behaviors so that they learn to love and understand what reading does for them in their lives. So I joined the organization uh, because of the mission and also because of the deep evaluation work that we do. Uh, we focus really intensely on making sure that our programs work and are providing the best possible outcomes and are committed to evolving those programs as we go. That's great. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the novel ideas concept and where that came from? Yeah, so Novel Ideas is our newest project. Um, it is an online showcase of student thoughts and voices um, as it relates to things they're wrestling with. And so um, when COVID-19 came to town, we realized that our programs that are very robust and in classrooms could be used as a resource to help children and teens and families wrestle with the trauma of social distancing and wrestle with current issues of the day. So reading is a really powerful tool that can be used to help connect you to someone who is like you or someone who's completely different from you. So as we broke down those programs, um, we started offering writing prompts and resources out um, into the world through the internet for the first time ever, which is really exciting. And thousands of people came to the Words Alive site to, to find those resources to help wrestle with, cope with, and emerge stronger from this crisis. From there, three different projects emerged. One was a collection of student writing um, that emerged and the students' responses to our writing prompts. Uh, a second was a group of um, students who decided that they wanted to read stories online because they had access to stories at home and many of their counterparts may not have had access with shuttered schools and libraries. And the third, um, it's called The Future Is Us, and it's a project we do every year uh, around connecting art and literature together. And so this year, the theme, uh, when we started the project was in February. When we started the project in February, the theme was focused on civic engagement. And so students in grades two through 12 read books related to civic engagement and the role that youth uh, have played in uh, the civil rights movement or in even fictional stories. And they started creating prints um, with a local artist, two local artists. They started, they created prints of their messages that they would want to put forward, similar to the messages that, um, that the students in the books or the children in the books put forward. 
And they, we turn them into these beautiful banners that are related to themes like equality and justice, peace and um, uh, environmental justice for the communities as well. Um, and we started curating these banners in February. They were supposed to go be installed into a local gallery. And when COVID-19 came and shut down that opportunity, we were sort of left with this project, plus this writing from students, plus these uh, kids who wanted to share stories. And we curated them all together into a site we're calling Novel Ideas. It's the first of many series of exhibits we're hoping to host. The goal of Novel Ideas is to amplify student voices. It's intended to give students access to power and to a platform that they may not be able to access on their own to have their voices elevated and escalated and brought to the forefront. And we're, we're pleased to do that work. It's really amazing. And you've had a, a great history, I think, of, of working to do that work from the day that I met you when you were a first year college student back in 2000. Um, and so, uh, yeah, uh, you know, one of the things I was really impressed with with Novel Ideas, there seems to be, you know, there's a focus on civic, civic engagement and social justice, but even more so, there seems to be some elements of racial justice coming out and really addressing the racial injustices in the world. Do you want to talk briefly about that and what that's done for your team and how that's impacted um, things moving forward? Yeah, one of the things I know about um, kids and youth is that they are honest and observant. And one of the things that when we wrestle in our, in our programs is how do we help youth find themselves in the books that they read? Um, and when you look at literature across the board and you look at especially children's literature, there's a lack of non-white characters in books. Um, and so it's really a challenge to be able to find um, books and novels that the students that we serve are able to connect themselves with and see themselves in. Um, and so we've been able to develop a really robust sense of curriculum around a number of different titles that feature different perspectives and lived experiences that align a lot more closely with the lived experiences of our students. And the best part about it is the goal of our work is to give them the resources to talk about and make connections between themselves and the text that they read um, and themselves in the world. And so I think being able to connect text to self and text to world is this really powerful, powerful piece of the puzzle. And so when we, we started to look at how the students are wrestling with the different topics, we see that they're wrestling with racial justice. We see that they're wrestling with police brutality. We see that they're wrestling with affordable housing and access to healthcare because it's things that they and their families are wrestling with directly. Um, we, what was really neat about all of these projects is we didn't set the theme to any of them. We gave the students a platform and we were able to see what message they wanted to put out into the world. Um, and we are seeing messages, everything from peace for all and be kind to people and be yourself to um, trans rights matter and um, justice is truth in action. We've got messages along racial equality. We have messages along um, just owning the future. And so I think as we, as we tie these pieces together, what we realize is that the youth that we serve have a lived experience that needs to be amplified and be, be shared in the community. And so we are really excited that this, this project is enabling us to do that. That's great, uh, and that's super powerful. And I was really struck by that work that you're doing. Thank you for your team and the, uh, and the work that you're doing to support. 
kids. Um, so really important question, you know, you're based in San Diego, but you, you are, you do have a national reach because of the internet and this project and other things that you're doing. So how can folks, um, support you? So what are some ways that folks can get involved, whether through their pocketbooks or through other ways? We're, we're open for all donations. Uh, if you come to um, our website, wordsalive.org slash novel ideas, you'll find the project. And what's really unique about it is on each of the different sections, there are opportunities for you and your family and your students to be able to engage. So we are looking to collect, right now there's about 425 uh, students and their voices and their words are represented on this platform. We're hoping to grow that into the thousands um, in the coming months. And so we would welcome everyone to come to wordsalive.org slash novel ideas, take a look at those different sites and follow the links to be able to create your own pieces to join, um, to join that exhibit. Uh, we really, we've been receiving um, submissions just in the last couple of weeks from Canada, from India, from a, uh, five or six different states across the country, um, and all over California. And so we're we're very excited for more students and more families and more groups to be able to add their voice to the exhibit. Um, you can learn more about the the work that we do at wordsalive.org. Uh, we have a really robust social media presence as well at Words Alive SD on all of the platforms and you'll be able to see different snippets and um, opportunities to engage. We share a lot of writing prompts and a lot of activities you can do with your families via social media as well. And if I want to donate, how do I do that? Come back to our website, wordsalive.org, um, and you'll click on a link to donate. And we uh, would really appreciate an investment in our youth and the power of reading and the ability to be able to continue to amplify this work around the country. Awesome. Thanks for taking the time to come on today, Rachel. I really appreciate you coming on. Hopefully we can have you and some of your team coming back on maybe later, um, maybe in the fall sometime to do a full interview talking about uh, how you are supporting the resistance. Because I feel like this work is aligned with that very much. And that's kind of one of our themes moving forward is um, the intersection of society and the, and the resistance movement. So um, yeah, that sounds that sounds great. And the uh, the work that you're doing is really great. And it's exciting that we have allies uh, who are helping lead the way for really tough, really meaningful conversations. And so we're, we're thrilled to be part of it. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much. And now uh, we're going to transition to our interview with our new co-host, Joshua Trinidad, uh, in just a second. Thanks, Rachel. Yeah. Oh man. Oh, this Full is going to use. We're just going to just do a hard in, hard in on this. We're just going to use that as a as a starting. Yes. Point. So, well, I'm I'm uh, in the virtual studios here with Joshua Trinidad, uh, my good friend and new co-host for the podcast. Josh, welcome back. It's good. To yeah, it feels see good. See you and hear you. Does yeah, it, I think. Does it feel good? It feels great. It's. Uh, I actually got online about 15 minutes early. And I uh, wanted to make sure my microphone was working, and it wasn't. <laughs> it <laughs> so wasn't, yes. That's how excited I was. I was I was early and prepared, but I guess I wasn't. But now I'm I'm working. Everything's working. Well, you have a nice-looking microphone, so. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, yeah. So uh, jumping right in, man, like, I'm really excited to do this work with you. Obviously, like, 
you know, I am a little bummed that Erica is leaving, but um, I'm excited that you and I get to work together as folks may or may not know. Josh has been on the show twice and already he was the very first guest that we had when we discussed um, his album that came out in, oh, 2018, I want to say. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. 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 In, in, in November uh, was the album that was released. And so oh, we yeah. talked a little bit about that and his touring and, um, and, uh, and then uh, Josh came on for another episode later. Um, and now he's back to co-host. So uh, yeah. welcome, welcome back. So what are your thoughts, man? How's it been since COVID and, you know? Well, <laughs> I feel like everything's different, um, at least for me, because I've seen individuals out in public that nothing has changed for them. <laughs> so, you know, they're in restaurants, no masks, you know, just normal, back to normal life. But not for me, I'm much more um, cautious uh, maybe than some others around me here in Denver, at least. Um, sometimes I like to drive by restaurants and bars just to see how packed they are. Yeah. And then it freaks me out just enough to go back home and never leave for a couple of days. So <laughs> I do that, do that sometimes. <laughs> so in fact, I just did that tonight on the way home. So <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I don't know what it is, but like, I, I have a hard time. I haven't been in a grocery store or I think the last place I went to was a liquor store. Yeah in March, like early March, it was like March 6th. And I remember okay. I went in because I needed to buy propane. And that's where we oh, buy yeah. propane for our grill. And I walked in and like, that was the last store I was in. It was March, March 6th, I think it was. Um, so physically. you haven't, you haven't gone to any restaurants or nothing for curbside pickup, nothing? We do curbside, but they come out to my car. And okay. it's like a, it's like an awkward deal. Like, I get out and I'm like, oh, they're not wearing a mask, so I'm like, stay away. Yeah. <laughs> Set the food down there. I will come yeah. get it. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, I, yeah, I get it. It's uh, same for me. I think around the same time, I went to like Costco, you know, and but it was Erin, my wife. She was like, we got to stock up. She's like, you remember the the story of the ant and the grasshopper? Oh. Right. Okay, yeah, and she's like, yeah. "Well, we better get, we better get moving." And I swear to you, it was like the next week, things started to like really change. But yeah, yeah, it's it's um it's been interesting. You know, we have a new baby in the house, and so mm -hmm. I think congrats of, on that. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, she's full house now. Full yeah. house, full house, five five humans <laughs> living in this space, and um, it's so it's been interesting because like I think Christina and I are both a little bit more cautious. Because we have three small kids, and like, while right. you know, people are like, ah, oh, the kids will handle it. It's like, a, I don't like it when my kids get the cold. Like, it freaks me out. Right. Yeah. B, like, I am not the most in shape human, so like, I feel mm -hmm. like I'm susceptible to to possibly this, and I I don't want them to grow up without a dad. Like that 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 worries me. So yeah, and likewise. you know, thing, and then you have the Black Lives Matter movement really taking right. another. Yeah. Here, so. yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, it's here in Denver, um, it's it's been super um I'd say it's it's maintained its um its level of, of importance. It hasn't really the gas has not been taken off the, the gas pedal. The foot hasn't been taken off the gas pedal here. Um we still have like daily protests, there's people meeting at the Capitol every day. 
regardless of COVID. And I was talking to one of my friends about it. I said, you know, I, I see you're, I see you're wearing a mask, but aren't you still like a little worried? And he said, you know, there's some things worth dying for. And, um, That's powerful. you know, yeah. And, and then another individual I talked to, she said, it's either I die like this or I'm going to die being shot by, by right. police officers. And she said, I'd rather, you know, go out kicking and screaming. And yeah. I said, okay. And that's fair enough. Like, you know, I, <clears throat> I, I love talking to my friends who, who are doing that every day and, and, Sadly, I'm not one of those individuals out there with them because of what the things that you mentioned, like being a father and other responsibilities that I have with um, my my parents who are over 70, that, um, you know, it's, there's other ways to protest and I need to make sure I'm in those lanes every day. Um, so yeah. I give it up, I give it up to the youth right now that are really, it's really the youth that are on the front lines right now. No kidding, man. And that's the other thing too, is like, I think we all have a role in doing this work moving forward and, and and you're right like so for those of us that aren't actively out using our voices and taking up the space in the streets and 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 being the civil disobedient folks that are out there doing that work um it's on us then in our systems and in the ways that we work to dismantle inside and work mm -hmm. on um really making those challenges happen and and so that way that work that's happening in the streets isn't go to waste, right? And so something, mm -hmm. you know, I was in my conversation that I had, uh, that's on the first half of the episode today, uh, with Erica, we talked, it's interesting to me about the momentum of this movement seeming like it's different and it feels different. And it feels like you said that, that the gas is not being taken off the pedal, the foot's not being taken off the pedal. Yeah. And, and I partly wonder if it's like, even like the civil rights movement, there was this negotiation with the folks that were um, activists and the folks in power. And there was, the, you know, we talk about interest convergence, right? So like the folks in power mm -hmm. were willing to give up something, right? So Brown v. Board, right. we were willing to give up segregation because right. it looked good, right? There was, a, right. There was something that the, the white folks were willing to give into, um, mm -hmm. but still have control. And in this case, the movement is really the voices of black and brown folks just just running with it and not asking not asking permission not asking right. for but demanding change and not change that white folks are comfortable with but change that needs to happen right. and i think and i think white people are starting to realize um this is pretty significant and yeah. um I, uh, the pessimist in me is like, how long are, are the attention spans of white America going to last with this? Mm -hmm. um, but I'm hopeful that it does. And I guess, you know, part of I'm hoping that our work on the show and then, you know, my work as a white dude is to make sure that it's always present and, and, and white folks are constantly challenging their own practices and beliefs and values, both in their workspace right. and in their personal lives. So, right. No, it's, it's interesting that you, that you mentioned that because I think initially, as the Black Lives Matter movement has resurfaced, I think the the the, the systems, the institutions, the dominant the dominant culture has kind of gone back to its playbook. They're like, okay, guys, we've been here before. Let's go ahead and solve the problem by doing this. And right. there are some people of color that are like, okay, cool, we did it. And then there's other people of color that are like. No, that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about reform. We're talking about abolishment. Right. And even I had to 
kind of find where I am on the spectrum of reform versus um, ab abolishment. And I, I was much, much under the impression and, and I'd say the, the support of reform of when oh, yeah. this all began. But then as I started to really listen to others in my community, I was like, no, you guys are right. This isn't about reform. We've done the reform discussions. We've the, you know, the systems and institutions have used that playbook many, many times and they're using it again. That's, that's not what we're doing this time. We're talking about abolishment. Yeah. And so I think that's why the intensity has maintained itself since day one, because it is different than mm -hmm. a reform playbook call. It's much different. I think it's so much more serious. And that's and there's a struggle. There's multiple levels of struggle from those that hold the power and releasing that and sharing it, which ultimately would be nice to, you know, to, to realizing that they're, they're not going to be the ones in charge anymore. And we're saying that publicly, like you guys are not in charge anymore. And you guys meaning white society. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's really fascinating to see. I mean, I'm, I'm hopeful that we are living in a time where <clears throat> this podcast becomes obsolete, right? So like I've always said, you know, when I do presentations, that it is my hope that I, as an, as a scholar am more of a historian, than an active day scholar, a present day scholar, right? Because I would love for whiteness studies and, and white, like folks that study and, and examine white supremacy to be more of a, a, a historical thing, but it's it's not, right? And we're still looking at it as an active process. And so to make my work obsolete would be amazing. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, but- uh, Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm hopeful that that's where we're headed, you know, in my mm -hmm. lifetime. Um, so that way our kids can um, kind of live in a different society than we live in. You know, my nervousness, right. though, is, and not to draw a comparison, but I think I can, I think you can with the way that some folks are responding to COVID <clears throat> from a very individualized mentality of, you can't tell me what to do. I'm not going right. to wear a mask. You're, you're, you're infringing on my rights, my rights. And there's no concept and understanding of the human aspect, other right. people's, you know, um, <laughs> I was going to say other people's lives, which is awkward. Uh, but like, you know, the, <laughs> yeah. you know it's, it, there's no like embracing that we all yeah. have a level of humanity and, and that human dignity piece is being removed and in the same way as what, how the racist establishment stays intact is that, you know, you dehumanize long enough and, and you make folks of color, you know, black and indigenous people of color as non-human. And that's just problematic in all of itself. So okay. yeah, it's, it's really interesting. So I don't know. Uh, so why, why do you think, um, why did you decide to join this endeavor? I know you and I talked about maybe doing a project um, yeah. in, the in the past, and it was a little different than this particular one. But, yeah. Um, what about why now? Why now, Josh? Well, one, um, I need to hang out with you more. Oh, this is so sweet. And I've been a bad friend, and I want to be a better friend because life gets crazy. And something that uh, I want the listeners to know, too, is – uh, we, I've kind of gone through, a, I wouldn't call it turbulence. It's a journey. It's all part of the journey. Um, 
that uh, my wife, uh, my partner, Erin, she's a practicing lawyer and, um, you know, she she's had her own journey on, you know, going through law school and obtaining her license. And I'm currently going back to school to finish my doctorate. And so all of this, I feel like, is meant to be like being on the show, being with around you, Tom more is, is going to be a positive influence on me maintaining my my seriousness and keeping my head in the game as, as not only a scholar but a an activist moving in the lanes of scholarly work um, because it's very easily for me to forget uh, a strength that i feel like i have and i need to maintain that strength and you give me that strength a lot you inspire it so that's one reason and two um you know, I, I'm also a principal here in Denver Public Schools and currently working on dismantling multiple systems of oppression that currently live in our school. Specifically, we'll get to it either this show or some other show around what it means to have an honors class, mm. which I really want to talk about honors classes in EK-12, which um, I've, I've done a lot of reading on in the last six months and it just blows my mind about what honors classes are, what they really are. <laughs> yeah, I th that's a really interesting topic. I think that will take a whole episode to kind of yeah. maybe unpack and what, you know, as you as you all hear, Josh and I have some ideas about where we want to take the show. And one of the things that Josh and I were talking about about a month ago, um, you know, when we were both kind of still, well, we're still quarantining, but we were quarantining and I was thinking, you know, it would be really interesting. It seems like we're, we're hitting a reset on all the all the systems you know we're uh -huh. de demanding demanding reform not just reform reset and abolishment of the criminal justice system as it currently stands and it and it feels like in education because of covid there's been a, a shift in what education looks like right and so and i think we can have these conversations collectively and so i think we're gonna we're gonna have those those dialogues yes. um, as part of this you know we've talked about uh, an upcoming episode um, where we're going to talk about um, colorism specifically in the Latinx community and anti-blackness. Uh, we'll have a few guests on for that, which I'm pretty excited about. And yes. then, uh, and then, then the, you know, I think so. We've got some big things planned. I think that are exciting, and your perspective and lens is really um, going to be unique. And you said nice things, which wasn't necessary, but I appreciate uh, the kind words. So, um, <laughs> you know, I, I remember the first time we met. Uh, so Josh and I were in grad school together uh, in our doc program, and I remember the first day uh, I walked in, and he had his Mac computer out, and he had mm -hmm. a picture of Paulo Freire um, in it. And Josh was sick at the time, but it was before COVID, yeah. so it was, it was just a, just the flu. Um, <laughs> just the flu. Just maybe the, it was the Rona. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it was. <laughs> it was just, it was just the regular just the regular flu, and. Um, <laughs> And I, I saw it and I was like, oh, I, I could I could get down with this cat. Like, he seems yeah. really interesting. So I went and said something to you and you're like, oh, this guy. <laughs> Can't even pronounce the man's name correctly. No. There's no rolling of the R's. No. <laughs> oh, gosh. I, I was hard on you. That's okay. It was, a fe it, it was a fever talking. I don't know. Oh, yeah. well, I was really sick. Well, I, w I wouldn't trust white people either. Uh <laughs> I get it, you know, but like, yeah, so we kind of, I mean, I don't want to say we bonded over Frere, but we kind of did a little bit. Yeah. Like that was my yeah. into knowing that you were down with critical thinking and critical race theory and stuff like that. Right. And so, 
um, yeah, so, but yeah, I, I'm really excited to have you on the show and, and excited that, you know, the direction that we can take it. Plus, you're a musician, right? Like, you've got, yeah. okay, a new album coming out in yeah. July, right? Yeah. In a week. So tell us, tell us a little about that. Well, this Last is time crazy. Ron, you were promoting an album, so why don't you just... <laughs> I know, might as well just keep going, huh? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, it was really weird. I got this message uh, on Facebook from this gentleman um, named Arun from India, and um, he said, I would love to put out a record of yours on my label here in Bangalore, uh, India. And I said, nothing. <laughs> I didn't respond <laughs> for like two weeks. And, you know, like sometimes in the music world, it's like you get these messages or like, hey, dude. We're going to the show. I'll pay you a thousand dollars. And then you like go through all of the work and then it's like, none of it's real. Like yeah. <laughs> just so used to that. So I was just like, whatever, you know? So I ignored it for a little bit. And then again, my partner, Aaron, she's so, so like, uh, she's such a better thinker than me. She's like, just respond. Like, let's just see what this is about. And it was legit, <laughs> like a legit, uh, really cool person that, really wanted to that was invested in me and heard my last record on an internet radio station and loved it and wanted to put out more of my music and so i agreed to it and he said uh well i'd love for you to team up with somebody from india like who would you like and he gave me all these people to listen to and i was like god i don't, I don't know i like them all and he he said i think you would really match up really good with this guy named Raitsu. and i said okay let me check it out and I looked him up, and this guy had done a lot of work with a lot of my heroes. And so I, I was like, yeah, this sounds great. And it was all legit. It's all real. And so we've been working on this record for about nine months. And um, originally, I was supposed to be in India right now, putting this oh, record man. out and, and playing at this festival called uh, Echo. It's called like Echo Fest, which is it's a festival that's in a um, it's in the forests. And it's all 100 percent green, um, and and it's uh, in the forest, and it's 24 hours, like 48 hour festival. There's no breaks, and um, and then there's uh, it's all just like ambient, kind of like dub, kind of uh, lounge, low beat, kind of down tempo music. Mm-hmm. But then COVID hit, so here we are again. But but we're still putting out the record, and it's been great, and. Um, now I feel like I have a whole new set of friends and and musicians in India that I can't wait to to go visit and make music with more. And so we're talking about putting out another record in January. So we got another one on the on the launch pad already. So it's been. I think I found a really cool group of people to to do some stuff with. That's awesome. Yeah. So describe the music for me a little bit. Like, what is it? You said it's is it's, it's you said it's low. I'm the festival is low and ambient. Is the is yeah the yeah the same. Yeah, it's definitely not jazz. Um, I uh, it's we we labeled it dark ambient, and somebody said, "Yeah, that's, that's perfect sound. Like that sounds exactly what it is." So, like dark and ambient. What's the name of the What's the name of the record? Um, so this record's called Lithium, and we lithium. named it Lithium Lithium because not Nirvana. Because of, because of Nirvana. <laughs> I knew you were a big musical band fan. Maybe I, Chris I, Novoselic, I, I'm not sure. Yeah, actually, I like, I, you know, I, lo- I love Pieces of Nirvana. Um, but um, we named it Lithium because of um, because of COVID and just um, some of the uh, 
medications that individuals take to deal with like some of the psychological challenges of being quarantined. And lithium is one of those big pieces that you see in a lot of medications that, that individuals take during some of these lonely times. Yeah. And so a lot of the music is based upon, you know, being kind of alone, like what individuals may be going through psychologically and emotionally. Um, so, and it's also supposed to shed some light on um, mental health issues as well for a large group of um, just people in the world, especially right now. That's super dope. Where can where can folks buy your record? Yeah, it'll be um, iTunes, um, anywhere pretty much in the world. Uh, uh, let's see, what's the other ones out there? There's uh, Pandora. I'm assuming yes. we can find you on Spotify because I Spotify, I right? My um, my family listens to In November on Spotify pretty regularly. Oh dang! Oh awesome! That's I don't know if a... I, to, I think I've told you this. Like, every time like a trumpet comes on, Scarlett goes, uh, "Is this my song, Daddy?" And I'm like, "No, no, <laughs> this is Miles Davis." <laughs> That's awesome. It's um... yours the same way too. <laughs> she'll she'll hear a song. She's like, "Is this my song?" I'm like. Yeah, it's your song, whatever. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. But yeah, no, um, anywhere, I, I also recommend people to go to Bandcamp um, directly oh, yeah. to download there. Um, or sub, the record label's called Subcontinental Records. You can go subcontinentalrecords.com. Um, we don't have any vinyl um, on this um, record because we're going to do, this is part one. There's a part two coming. Yeah. Uh, lithium. And so once the part two comes out, it'll be, you'll be able to get like a double LP on vinyl. Oh, nice. But what we are doing on this release, this is crazy, is uh, we're doing um, tapes. Oh, wow. <laughs> Cassettes. So, That's cool. <laughs> and I asked, uh, I asked Arun, the, the CEO of um, Subcontinental, like, why, why just, you know, cassettes? And he's like, man, they're popular here. <laughs> so in India, I guess they're pretty popular. So that's what we're doing. Platinum on the tape. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so and I was like, are we going to do download codes in those? He goes, no, just no. just the tape, man. That's the correct. Just the tape. So, that's cool. Yeah. That's so that's cool. that's the project. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I'm excited mm -hmm. to, uh, and it's out next week, July 2nd. Is that right? Yeah, what July 2nd with a video. Um, there's going to be, um, it's out, oh, yeah, there's something else too is, uh, Give me a series of videos that are associated with the tracks and all are around exactly the things we we're talking about. Like, oh, that's cool. You know, just the psychological process of quarantining and all these are shot in India. All these videos are being shot in India um, in Mumbai. That's cool. So yeah. if folks are interested in checking this out, uh, if you want to go, if you're getting this episode from iTunes or Spotify or any place, if you want to go to our website, whitenessinamerica.com and look up uh, podcast episodes in the description of the episode. I'll embed some of the links that Josh is talking about so you can find him on Bandcamp there. Um, and then also uh, any of the videos that come up, we'll post in that space yeah, too. So yeah, that'd be so awesome. We can, we can promote it that way. Yeah. Absolutely. So, very cool. Very cool. Well, yeah. um, you know, I didn't want to keep, keep too long, Josh. I just wanted to do an introduction. Is there anything that you want to share with folks as uh, we get ready to start up the engines on this and, yeah. forward to the future of, of the new chapter of whiteness in America? I think, I think what I'm excited about um, with, with this show is that everything is happening in, in, in real time. 
in America right now. Some say this is like the second civil rights. To me, I feel like the civil rights never ended. Um, it's not the second, it's still the same one. Um, it's just that we've had some peaks and valleys of the movement, but right now we are, I would say, maybe climbing higher than what we did in the 60s um, because of the momentum that we just talked about. And, yeah. um, and I think just the youth being involved. So I think what I'm excited to talk about is one, you know, what, how, how, how we all exist in, in this world right now on the multiple levels of, um, of racism, specifically around education, um, navigating systems such as the healthcare, um, healthcare system, banking systems, um, jobs and housing and healthcare, um, all, everything is, is changing so rapidly. Um, some things are becoming much more ironclad and some things are starting to break down. And it will be interesting for us to talk through what areas of um, systematic oppression is actually hardening or softening um, over these next you know few years. So I'm excited. I think you know we'll be able to talk through those things and, and discuss them in real time. Not to mention we have you know a bunch of uh, you know elections are important and so mm. we have the, the November election yes. coming up, which I think will be a good yes. a potential barometer for um, the discourse that is going forward on, on how the system can change, particularly if we see representation in folks of color, uh, black and ind indigenous people of color being elected right. into positions, um, maybe a new president, you know. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, um, you know, I, I think that, that th those will be an interesting weather main for us to talk about, too, um, because, you know, the, the political system is structured now. With the electoral college is steeped in white supremacy and whiteness and, right. and how that exists in the first place. You know, both main r front running candidates for both parties are old white dudes, you know, and mm -hmm. um, as much as I want to. I have as many issues, I have many issues with the Democratic candidate. Um, uh, that yes. one could possibly have of someone they're going to vote for, um, you know, but I think, you know, it'll be really interesting to have those conversations. And, and I think maybe right. that's one of the things that I, I kind of enjoy about, um, you know, I appreciated, for example, Barack Obama, but I feel like my social circle who all supported him also you know, we run with this this narrative of get your people, right? So like part of the reason I do race racism work is because I believe my work is to work with white folks and in, in, in working through their whiteness and white supremacy. I gotta get my right. people. Well, as a liberal, which I am, as a Democrat, which I, I guess I am, like when they screw up or they make mistakes, like we have to get our people. You know, we have there's accountability there. Mm -hmm. And and for some reason I feel like that's missing at least an external conversation publicly. Sure. Um, on the other side. So I'm, I'm interested to see how things evolve on that level too. So we'll be able yeah. to talk about that moving forward. So big, big things coming for us. So I'll, yeah, I'll and especially in Michigan, you know, you're in Michigan and, you know, I'm interested to also see like what is going to happen in, in your state. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Is that is that Cookie joining us? That is, um, that was Cookie. <laughs> 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 that was the uh, uh, you know it's fireworks season and I don't know oh, about yes. you but it is it has been bonkers in my neighborhood. It's yeah. just been people just yeah. they're like no, no fireworks show fine we'll make our own <laughs> for a month straight for a month straight doesn't even matter yeah. <laughs> midnight doesn't matter 
Doesn't matter what time it is. Who cares? Yeah. yeah. But no, I'm. You know, I was gonna. I was gonna talk to you about that too. Just where you live in Michigan. I mean, I feel like it's it's more than a battleground, and it's 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 much deeper. And things have really shifted. I mean, over the last since like the mid '80s to now, I'm like, geez, Louise. <laughs> you know, like I feel like it's gonna be an important year for hopefully Michigan to to do something amazing. Yeah, which I, is my I think... hope. I think so too. You know, we elected um, a Democratic governor in um, 2018, and unfortunately, because of gerrymandering, yeah. even though the state is disproportionately Democrat, um, our House and Senate are Republican. And so, one of the right. things that that we voted on in the last election, I think it was 18, was um, doing a uh, nonpartisan redistricting. So that is that commission is being formed right now. Mm -hmm. um, I believe they just did it an electronic Excel, like a virtual Excel naming of the final. So they had like um, 90,000 people apply. That might be the yeah. wrong number because that seems like a lot. That's a lot. And, and they did like, like a, virtual <laughs> ex, a virtual Excel like show where they yeah. showed like these are the 200 finalists. And so yeah. then they'll, they'll make that smaller and, and, and get that. Yeah. So I'm, I'm excited to see how that works out because I feel like representation is important, right? And so we have communities yeah. that are densely populated that don't have equal or equitable representation sure. compared to like my community where I live where we're not densely populated, it's predominantly white, and yet we have you know, lots of representation for our voices sure. in, our, in our community. So um, I think that would be, that's a big step. And then, you know, obviously we have a Senate uh, seat um, yeah. for grabs. We have a um, someone coming in that's well, we have an incumbent, a Democrat, um, who's not mm -hmm. the strongest, um, and he's getting uh, challenged by um, uh, an African American Republican uh, man. Uh, that's not a weird African African American Republican man, an African American <laughs> man who is a Republican, yeah. um, who is a war vet. So oh, it wow. will be very fascinating to see how wow. that um, plays out. So you know that kind of plays on some of those. Yeah. Those things, so we'll see. I've and always been, yeah, I've always been interested in in Michigan's um, indigenous populations and how I, I know that they exist in large numbers and pockets, but I never really mm -hmm. hear about it, you know, too much. And the only reason I know this is because I had spent, I think you knew this, I had spent some time in Thunder Bay, yeah, um, just across the lake, right? Yep. And I yeah. remember having a conversation with individuals in Thunder Bay about large indigenous populations in Michigan and I had no idea about it and they're not represented. No, um, not at all. And I had no clue. I had no clue about that. You know, I think that would be an interesting, um, I will reach out to some uh, friends and see if we can get some folks uh, on to talk about their experience here because I think you're right, both politically and, and um, in, you know, the, all of the structures that exist you know, I think that 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 community, the communities in Michigan, are largely underrepresented, mm -hmm. um, uh, both in numbers and in, in places of power, but also in in, in, um, in you know, it, it's just it's really it's really interesting. Um, you know, we do, yeah, yeah. I think that that would be a really good show for us to do. Yeah, I would love to. I would love to dig into that. Yeah, that'd be great. Mm -hmm. So. Well, any final thoughts before we say goodbye to folks for this week? Well, no. Um, I 
I don't, I don't have any final thoughts. I'm just excited to uh, yeah, thought it out. Yeah, no, I'm just excited to 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 join to join you on this uh, on this journey on the show and to be the co-host and you know to um, just explore the the different the different worlds that we're gonna discuss and and uh, I think more or less the the way in which you know things are happening in real time and how we're going to capture this in, in kind of a time capsule here. I think of this podcast also as like a a living, breathing time capsule that maybe someday, you know, my our our kids, you know, they're they in high school. They'll pull this up and listen to us and hopefully get something from it. Or um, maybe this is something that historically we can just document. Um, because yeah. maybe this won't be documented in history books, but it does live somewhere else and it's real. Right. Yeah, that's a great point. So, well, thanks everybody for uh, joining us this week. Um, Josh and I will be back soon with our uh, episode, next episode. Uh, if you want to find us, you can find us on the web at whitenessinamerica.com. All of our episodes will be there archived. Uh, you can also find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, basically anywhere where you get uh, podcasts. And uh, if you have feedback, you can hit us up at whitenessinamerica at gmail.com or on Twitter. Uh, our Twitter handle is disruptwhiteness uh, with one S on the end of whiteness because Twitter's weird and you can only have so many characters in your name. Um, so I can spell. Uh, not that long, but I can. So anyway, well, that's that's all from us this week. Thanks, everybody. Take care. Thank you.